Hello and welcome to the Mythological Africans podcast, where we read and talk about the mythology, folklore, and culture of different African peoples. I am your host, Helen Mundi. Episodes of this podcast come from live recordings of the Mythological Africans Twitter Space Storytime Sessions, public talks, as well as from episodes of the Mythological Africans Deep Dive series, which you can watch on YouTube. Today, we will continue our exploration of African sexualities with a focus on homosexuality. Homophobia, which is a culturally produced fear or prejudice towards people who are gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, etc., it's rampant on the African continent. Homophobia can show up as legal restrictions, such as the recent legislation in Uganda, which imposes penalties of imprisonment for up to 20 years or death on people who are homosexual. Homophobia can also show up as bullying or even violence against people who are homosexual. The reasoning behind these prejudiced attitudes is the claim that homosexuality is not African. But how true exactly is this claim? The question of if homosexuality is African is an interesting one. Does it ask if there are Africans who are homosexual, that is, people who experience romantic or sexual attractions to others of the same sex, Or does it ask if traditionally there were communities in which such uh, orientations and attractions were considered normal? As a matter of fact, the answer to both those questions is yes. Yes, there are Africans who experience attractions, romantic or sexual, to people of the same sex. And yes, there are communities, or at least there were communities, where such attractions and orientations were not considered abnormal. Current attitudes to homosexuality across the African continent can largely be blamed really on Islamic invasion, but most especially on European colonization. As such, if you ask an elder in the average community across the continent, the answer you're going to get on whether or not homosexuality is African is going to be in the negative. In this episode, we will explore the ways in which homosexuality, specifically relationships between men, shows up in communities across the African continent. We will look at attitudes and practices across the lifespan and touch on the problem of pederasty. Pederasty is homosexual relationships between a man and an underage boy. It continues to be associated with homosexuality, even though the practice of marrying of girl children is still rampant and legally, culturally, or religiously sanctioned in most cases across the continent. This is noteworthy. We'll also explore issues of language and framing, and we'll end with some thoughts on what the future might hold. The goal of this episode is not to prove anything one way or another, but to interrogate statements which ignore history and refuse to give people who are homosexual the dignity and protections they deserve. We will focus on gay men in this episode, like I said, but many of the underlying ideas apply to lesbian women as well, and we'll focus on African lesbians in episode 14. This map shows the state of homosexual rights on the African continent. As you can see, for the most part, being homosexual is criminalized across most of the continent. This map shows a map of African countries. And initially, what I was going to do was put a mark on every country where there has been a traditional historical occurrence of uh, 
homosexual practices, activity orientations. But then what I realized was that to do that would be to create a situation where if I wasn't able to find documented evidence per se, then it would create the impression that certain countries didn't have homosexual activity. But the reality is that in today's Africa, there are homosexual people in every single African country, and that is where we should be working from. It's worth keeping in mind that in most traditional African communities back in the day and even now, open discussion of sexual matters is considered gauche. It's not the thing that is done. So beyond obvious commentary on heterosexual activity, which leads to visible pregnancy and children, you might not hear much about sex or sexuality, but absence of visible evidence doesn't always mean things don't exist. There have been lots of studies which have documented culture-specific terms that describe homosexual activity, uh, people, and concepts. This is very noteworthy. So what we find out when we start looking at the documentary evidence and talking to people is that in African communities, homosexuality was known and named. There were a broad range of practices, expressions, and configurations. In some cases, it was sanctioned. In others, it was not. In some cases, it was practiced openly and people could live freely. And in other cases, you had to be discreet um, or you would be fined or kicked out of the community or killed. There was homophobia back in the day. And most importantly, most people who were homosexual in many communities had a spiritual aspect to their orientation. And this is something worth noting as well. In episode 10, when we overviewed African sexualities, we talked about childhood sexual education. We talked about how it focused as much on gender roles as it did on the sexual act itself. And it usually involved open instructions, direct answers to questions, or play, which could be supervised or unsupervised, structured or unstructured. Parental figures or other authority figures sometimes would be the ones dispensing information. In other cases, the children amongst themselves will figure things out. But the understanding was always that this is amongst children. And this is noteworthy because in most African communities back in the day and sometimes even up till now, children were not considered full people in the sense that they were in a, an in-between space, a liminal space, until they underwent the necessary initiations to become adults. So the, the rites of passage into adults, into adulthood at puberty. So the way children behaved, it really wasn't taken seriously, it was quite often dismissed as, oh, that's just child play. And this applied to children whose sexual orientation varied from their biological sex. In some communities, they were just ignored, right? The expectation was that they would adjust when they went through their initiation rites and became adults. They would be, behave in the way that they were expected to behave. In others where the attitude towards people who were homosexual was different, they were accepted as people with special capacities and oriented towards the proper guidance. And in other communities, corrective action was taken, including consultations with diviners and behavioral training to make sure that they met the standards and expectations in their communities. Also, in communities where homosexual partnerships and relationships were sanctioned, I would expect that children were not necessarily shielded from them. They learned about them in the same way they learned about heterosexual partnership. It was out in the open. In communities where they were not accepted or practiced or uh, part of sacred spiritual rights, I don't imagine children knew much beyond what they could glean from observation. So it was very much as is the case today. Children learn what their societies made available to them, and they also learn things by observation. Puberty was a time of transition from childhood to adulthood. 
And sexual education at puberty focused on gender roles and in more detail on the sexual act. This usually happened in the context of a rite of passage from childhood into adulthood. And the, these rites of passage for boys and for girls will vary from community to community, but they almost always included education on what was expected of you as an adult. So you talked about personal hygiene, um, how to be a man and participate in the male professions, how to be a woman and do things like household management and child rearing, depending on what was available to you in your community. Uh, young people were also taught basic herbal remedies for common ailments and just oriented on what it meant to be an adult in that community, what the culture was, what the cosmology was, etc. There was a sexuality training aspect to this in which young people were taught their gender roles, so what it meant to be a man, what it meant to be a woman, explanations about sexual biology, remedies to facilitate sexual activity, practices to enjoy sex, uh, remedies to treat venereal diseases. So there was this very holistic approach to, to the transition from childhood to adulthood as far as orienting people sexually was concerned. But what was the situation for people who experienced same-sex attraction? In some communities where homosexual partnerships were allowed, adolescents could you know, young boys could form friendships and partnerships, those just as, you know, young boys and girls would form, you know, friendships and partnerships or with their family's approval get married. And in most cases, this was deemed just boys' play, right? They were expected to eventually fulfill their role in society, including getting married and having children. An example I found was amongst the Hereros, and Hereros are found in Namibia, Botswana, and Angola. And in this example, you know, these boys will have what they call um, their, their upanga. It's, a, it's an erotic friendship, and they took these things very seriously. But then when they got married, they were expected to, you know, be with their wives as they had to be. But then say these men had to go on a long journey and they couldn't take their wives with them. In some cases, they will take their former lover with them and, you know, carry on and live life. So this was normal among the Herero until the presence of colonialists you know, changed the dynamic and people stopped you know, taking this thing as normal. This is one example amongst many. In communities where homosexual orientation was considered a spiritual advantage, as is the case amongst the Dagara, the people were taught to fulfill their duties accordingly. And what to keep in mind is that in some communities, it was done openly, and in some communities, it was done discreetly. So people could move through the community as as heterosexual men, but then in the context of their spiritual duties, they, they, they were free to function as homosexual men. And you can debate about whether or not this is right or wrong, but this was the case at that time. The case of the Dagara people is talked about by Malido Masome, who is a Dagara elder. And what I love about his, his commentary on this, this topic is the fact that he situates homosexuality in the Dagara cosmological understanding of the world. So in that culture, people who are homosexual are gatekeepers. They have a specific function linking the spiritual world with the physical world, and they serve to bring some balance into the community because they can experience life in this, from this, from this in-between space. And that was a good thing. That was welcome. That was celebrated. That was accepted. But in some communities, homosexual partnerships were not allowed, right? And action was taken to address the orientation. Amongst the Setswana was an example I found where if a boy was identified as homosexual during his rites of passage, um, 
you know, he would be strongly deterred. He would be taken to the traditional doctors to determine what, what, what was not going right. And um, there was an understanding of what it meant to be homosexual in that community and there were measures taken to heal them. So it just, it wasn't accepted. A few things to keep in mind. Puberty at that time, to us, you know, an adolescent is a child, is a baby. But at that time, back in the day, in many African communities, technically, once you went through those rites of passage, you were an adult and you were treated as such. So we, we, we need to be careful about whatever judgment we make. You know, they were not doing things to children. These, these children to us were adults in their eyes. But also, you, we see that the attitudes vary, right? There were communities where they were celebrated. There were communities where they were not. They were not accepted. I actually read an example of a chief who would, you know, kill people who he thought was, who he, he believes were homosexual in his community. So there was homophobia back in the day. But then that does not in any way justify people being treated cruelly in this day and age because times change attitudes can change. And what underlies um, my belief and the belief of people who support the right of homosexual people to live free and dignified life is that they are human beings, simply. They are human beings. And as adults, they should be able to consensually do what is natural to them. Whether we are looking at documentary evidence or just observing the communities around us, one thing we know for certain is that there is homosexual activity among adult men in current African communities. In countries where homosexuality is decriminalized, people get married, have normal relationships, start families and live their lives. But even in countries where homosexuality is criminalized, people find ways to live their lives. There are Communities such as the Mashoga community in Kenya. There is a Yandaudu community in Nigeria, amongst the Hausa. And these are communities of people who are gay, lesbian, transgender, finding ways to take care of each other, finding ways to show up for each other and live their lives as normally as they can under the circumstances in which they find themselves. But what was the case like in traditional communities? As we saw, there were communities where once you became an adult man, you were allowed to form partnerships with other men as long as you didn't forget your duty to marry and have children. And this obtains even up till today amongst the communities that I mentioned. In some communities, your homosexuality was allowed expression in the spiritual context. And that's as much as I'm going to say on that because there are many prejudices around this. And going into that is just way beyond the scope of this video. It was also transactional, and this was especially the case um, amongst men who traveled long distances. For example, it is known that in South African communities, and this was especially around the times when colonialism came in and communities were changing in very fundamental ways, what people did for work, men in mining camps will form these relationships where they will take on a quote-unquote wife, and there was usually exchange of money or goods involved, and there would be a sexual component to these relationships. And sometimes it was impersonal, purely transactional, and other times there were, you know, they were lovers, they cared about each other. And um, in the book Boy Wives and Female Husbands, which is one of the texts that I reference widely, one thing I noticed was that there was real love between some of these men, right? They cared deeply about each other. So it wasn't just about the sex um, they had deep feelings for each other. They, they wanted to be with each other. They wanted each other to be well. And what's, what's, what's better than that? So attitudes varied by community. 
In some communities, their wives were aware of what was going on and didn't mind. And in some communities, they were expected to keep things discreet. Again, we have to remember that all of this was happening in the context of a society or societies where open discussion of sexual matters was was considered, you know, crude. So people did their things quietly in, in some of the interviews that I read. You know, if you asked openly the homosexuals, people would say no, you know, and look at you like you were crazy. But if you got to know them and you got comfortable with them, then they will you know, reveal the, the truths of the community to you. So this is something that it's absolutely important to keep in mind as we explore this issue. Now, moving on to the topic of pederasty. And uh, once again, the definition of pederasty is homosexual relationships between a man and an underage boy. This practice occurred not only on the African continent, it occurred all around the world. So this is not something that is unique to the African continent. In many ways, it is analogous to the practice of marrying uh, young girl children, child brides, right? Where girls as young as 10, 11, 12 are married off to you know, men of variable age, sometimes old enough to be their grandfathers. The thing is, when you hear people talking about homosexuality on the African continent, especially those who are opposed to it, you tend to see them say, oh, we don't want homosexuals to have rights because they will prey on children. But the existence of pederasty in the homosexual context doesn't make the orientation inherently evil, just as the practice of child marriage, which even up until today is defended, is legalized in, in many countries across the world as something that is culturally, religiously appropriate, doesn't inherently make the heterosexual orientation um, evil, even though we, we know just the amount of damage that child marriage does on these young girls. So what, what I think needs to happen is that we need to uncouple the things that consensual adults do amongst themselves from things that predators do on children, right? And this is in the context that we look about. Now, back in the day, this, it was considered normal that you know young men would young uh, young boys and men were paired and young girls and older men were paired and we look back at that now with the knowledge we have currently about how damaging this is to these children's lives we can say okay that's not okay we are not going to allow that in our communities but we can also with the same eyes look and say what two people do together by themselves as adults does not necessarily damage the com community. And this is something to, to always keep in mind because we, we, we are capable of changing, right? As human communities, we, we get new information and we adapt. And so it is important that the questions that we ask ourselves be based on, you know, figuring out what we, we need to do to make sure that people are not harmed. That's the more important question that we should be, be asking. What can we do to make sure that people are not harmed, that people are safe, people can thrive? Um, if homosexuality is criminalized, does this make people thrive? Does this make them flourish? If homosexuality is decriminalized, does this make them thrive? Does this make them flourish? So attitudes vary, um, practices vary, but underlying all of that is the focus on the dignity of human beings, the, the rights that adults have to live their lives in ways that suit their natures and which are not necessarily affecting other people. But what you find is that the, the, the rejection of homosexuality is grounded in, in a lot of patriarchal attitudes which see the, the, the pairing of men with men as something that threatens the order or the pairing of women with women because then, oh, women have become unavailable to men. 
Um, and this is something that we will go into when we look at lesbianism in the African context. But then if men are with other men, then it weakens the, the patriarchal structure. And for people who really believe in the patriarchy, that's a threat. But then people's cultural beliefs should not always be the determining factor on if a human being should be treated with dignity. And I keep coming back to that because that's the defining factor here. When we pass laws which criminalize something that is natural, something that people don't necessarily choose, because you have to think about it, the, the, the terrors that people who are gay or lesbian or trans live through in, in African countries and around the world, it makes it hard to believe that this is something that people just choose. Right. And there is more than enough evidence to show that this, this, these are innate attributes, these are innate orientations, and we, we can respect that. We have the science and the information to show that now, and that's something we should definitely take into consideration as we make laws. As we saw in earlier slides, and contrary to what some people might want you to believe, there have always been culture-specific terms to describe people who are gay or lesbian or bisexual or transgender. And these terms have varied from community to community. They describe practices, they describe the orientation themselves, they describe the relationships. The issue is that with colonialism and all the changes that have happened recently, many of these terms have taken on a negative bias. So they are not just purely descriptive terms. They now carry a negative connotation, even though back in the day they didn't necessarily carry this negative connotation. What also happens is that because the internet has connected people on the African continent and around the world who are homosexual, gay, lesbian, bi, trans, there is a lexicon that is emerging describing the, the orientation and the experience of living in the world. And the question is, how much does this language, these norms, have to be grounded in what it has meant to be homosexual, to be a gay man in the past, for example? And that's something that is currently being worked out. What remains is that people who are homosexual deserve to be treated with dignity and respect, deserve to be protected by the law because they are humans and it is a basic human rights issue. And as we talked about before, just because something is a norm in a culture doesn't mean that becomes a standard that is used to judge everybody because some people might choose to not be part of that culture so they can preserve their lives. So does that mean they deserve to die? So the, the language issue will continue to be important. And uh, the beautiful thing is that with the internet now, we have ways to talk to each other. We have ways to connect with each other, to come to understand each other. I imagine that there are people who are not African who will watch this video and will get a, a sense of what the reality is, not just for African people in the present, but how it was in the past. And there are connections that will be made there. And hopefully this contributes to a better understanding and a better experience of what it means to be to be a gay man, uh, to be a lesbian woman, to be bisexual, to be transgender. That is the, the point of all these efforts, right? The good news is that discriminatory laws are not the only thing happening for homosexual people on the African continent. As we saw in the earlier map, uh, some countries do not criminalize homosexuality. And also, um, some countries are making steps towards decriminalizing or making normalizing, let's use that word, normalizing sexual orientations other than heterosexuality. Recently, the government of Rwanda released a comprehensive sexuality education toolkit, which delves into issues of gender identity, gender expression, biological sex, and sexual orientation. And it does this in Kenya, Rwanda, which is the national language of Rwanda. It's an indigenous African language. 
And what I love about this initiative is just how much it normalizes these different sexual orientations and gender identities and gender expressions. And it's done by the state, so it has the full force of the law behind it, which is, is good because people do some things under the cover of the law, but then they are still very cruel and they are discriminatory and they violate people's human rights. So this is an exciting new development, and um, the way I see it, it lays a foundation or adds to the foundation that has been built on efforts to grant people who are homosexual on the continent full human rights, and we, we say bravo to Rwanda, and we hope that other African countries are taking note. And we, we, we say this is encouraging for you know the homosexual community on the African continent because it's evidence that... Um, the efforts are being seen, the efforts are being heard, and change is possible. Change is still possible. So thank you for making time to watch this video. I hope you learned something from it. I know I learned a lot in the course of preparing for it. The reference section will give you information on what sources I used for the information in the video, and I encourage you to take a look at them because they go into so much more than I was able to fit into a 15-25 minute video. And it's important that we educate ourselves on this issue so that we can be better advocates for ourselves and for other people. I say this as someone who lives in a Western country where despite ongoing, you know, tuffles between people who believe otherwise, it is still relatively safe to be a person who is not heterosexual. So knowing what you need to know so you can be an effective advocate is of the utmost importance. And I hope that this video contributes something to that.